Hello, my name is Sam Becker, and I'm the Brookings First United Methodist Church's Worship Technology and Media Director. On behalf of our pastors, Pete Grassow and Krista Ducker, I welcome you to this episode of Messages from First United Methodist Brookings. This podcast is a full audio version of the sermon and scripture from each week's Sunday morning and Wednesday Manna in the Middle services. Today's message was delivered by Pastor Krista Ducker on June 27, 2021. You can watch the entire service on our website at brookingsmethodist.org and on our Facebook page at Brookings First United Methodist Church. Now, here's Pastor Krista with Jesus Meets a Roman Overlord. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard Jesus is making and baptizing more disciples than John, although it was not Jesus himself, but his disciples who baptized, he left Judea and started back to Galilee, but he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a Samaritan city called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired out by his journey, was sitting by the well. It was about noon. This is setting the stage for what is about to happen. I apologize, I will not use that font in the future. (laughs) It's a little hard to read, so I'm sorry about that. So what we find out in this setting the stage moment is that Jesus is making some waves in Judea. In fact, so much so that he's beginning, it appears, and his disciples to outshine his cousin John. They They are baptizing lots of people as John does. And it's causing a bit of a disturbance, maybe a bit of a ruckus in the neighborhood. So Jesus, it appears, decides he's going he's gonna to spread the wealth a little bit and head to his home territory in Galilee, which is north of Judea. So he makes this decision to go to Judea, to Galilee rather, from Judea. And I just want to show you a little bit what that looks like. So you can see on the map, hopefully, Judea and Galilee. So Judea is there on the bottom in the south of Israel. That's where Jesus and his disciples were, baptizing people. He decided to go up to his home territory of Galilee, up in the north, okay? So there's really only two major ways to get to Galilee from Judea. There's one, see that? Kind of takes you around the outside, up to Galilee. And that's the way most Jewish people would go. If they were going to Galilee, they would take that road, it takes them kind of out around the outside and up to the region of Nazareth and Galilee. But Jesus doesn't go that way. Jesus goes this way. So you might notice, as it says in the text, this way is actually far more direct, but there's a wrinkle if you're a Jewish person in that it takes you straight through Samaria. Okay? Now, if you know anything about history, you know that Samaria is where the Samaritans lived. And in fact, the Samaritans actually still live there. There there is still a Samaritan community that occupies parts of the West Bank in Israel. I don't know if you knew that. So Jesus decides not to go the roundabout way, even though that's the way most people go. He goes straight through. But you see... The tension between Samaritan people and Jewish people is that they differ on their place of worship. See, 
The Samaritan people are those who were in the northern part of Israel who kind of stuck around, who were left after they were conquered by the Assyrians. Long, long time ago, in around the 700s BC. Well, later on, the southern part of Israel was conquered by different people, and they were shipped off. They came back and built a temple, and the Samaritans said, wait a minute, we've been here all along. We've been worshiping over here in Mount Gerizim. That's where God is. That's where we should worship. You guys are just coming back now? So they differed on where they should worship. The Jews believed the place to worship was at the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. Samaritans believed it was north in Mount Gerizim, which is kind of in the middle, right where the word Samaria is, right around in that area. So there was this rancor between these people groups, very closely related about where the right place was to worship. And so what we read in these first few verses is that Jesus could have chosen to go the way everybody else went, but he chose to go straight through the territory of the Samaritans. And what do you know? He ends up meeting one. (laughs) He puts himself in that place. He meets a Samaritan. And this is what it says in verses 7 to 10. A Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. His disciples had gone to the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? Jews do not share things in common with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Here's the thing. Often at this point in a sermon, I think, on the Samaritan woman at the well, pastors will talk about how actually Samaritan, you know, Jews and Samaritans don't get along, and Samaritan woman was there in the middle of the day, which meant she may not have a lot of friends, um, and so she was probably an outsider too, and all of those things are true. But sometimes we forget to mention an important point. Jesus was the outsider. Jesus was the outsider. In the context of this encounter, even though the person who wrote the gospel was a Jewish person for whom a Samaritan would have been the excluded one, Jesus in the story places himself in a situation where he is the outsider. He is the one who is not on his turf. You see, Jesus has invaded her space. Women go to wells. Jesus comes to her well, to her space, and asks her for a drink. And everything that happens after that happens because she allows it to happen. Everything that happens after that happens because she shows grace to Jesus, who is in her turf you see. So let's move on. John 4 verses 11 to 15. The woman said to him, sir, you have no bucket and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us the well and with his sons and flocks drank from it? Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but those who drink of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty. The water that I give them will become in them a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I may never be thirsty or have to keep coming here to draw water. 
couple of quick points. Living water can mean theologically eternal water of life as we interpret it as people of God. But the words back then could have just meant bubbling water like in a spring instead of standing water in a cistern. So what happens is the Samaritan woman kind of follows along with Jesus with what would be a normal interpretation. Oh, great, I'd love some spring water. Can you show me where it is? I'd, I'd rather not come here, right? But Jesus says, no, there's actually something else I'm trying to tell you about the living water that I have to give. And there are some parallels, and I wanted to share them, between this story and the one that comes before it in John chapter 3. You may remember, it's about Nicodemus. Nicodemus comes to Jesus. He's a Pharisee. He meets him in the, in, in the nighttime. And they talk a little bit about water and spirit. For Nicodemus, the mat- metaphor is birth. Jesus says, I tell you, Nicodemus, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. And, Jesus, and Nicodemus says, well, how can anybody be born after they've been born? That doesn't make any sense. And then Jesus again challenges him takes him to a deeper understanding of what it means to be born of water and spirit. We're going to talk about spirit in our passage today. What is born of flesh is flesh, and what is born of spirit is spirit. And then Jesus goes on to tell him one of the greatest truths of our faith. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Whosoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. That all happens in just the chapter before. So in John chapter 3, Jesus explains the truth of the kingdom to an insider, and here in John 4, he talks about it to an outsider, both times talking about the power of the Spirit to change lives. So, Jesus challenges a surface assumption for her. Jesus highlights the work of the Holy Spirit to her, that it brings eternal life. And then he goes on, verses 16 to 20. Jesus said to her, go, call your husband and come back. The woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you're right in saying I have no husband, for you've had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you've said is true. And in a moment of realization, she realizes she has an opportunity here to ask a question. She says, I realize that you're a prophet. I want to ask you a question. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you say the place where people must worship is in Jerusalem. We've talked about that. And Jesus, again, challenges her assumptions. He says, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father seeks such as these to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming. When he comes, he will proclaim all things to us. And Jesus said to her, I am he, the one who is speaking to you. We'll get to what she does in response to that in a minute. But here's what's important about this chunk of the passage. Jesus is saying to her, there is no place and no person who is off limits. 
to God. There is no place and there is no person who is off limits to God because when we worship God now, in the advent of Christ, we worship in spirit and in truth. We worship wherever we are and with whomever is around us. We can worship God. And it calls us to love. When we worship God in spirit and truth, we are motivated to a life of love of God and neighbor. I recently watched a documentary about the author James Baldwin. It's called I Am Not Your Negro. In it, a 30-page manuscript of James Baldwin called Remember This House gives an extended meditation on the deaths of his friends, Medgar Evers, Malcolm X, and Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. It includes footage of the period, including interviews with Baldwin. And in this 30-page manuscript that never became a book, here's what I want to tell you. He said this of the church. An avid civil rights worker and spokesman in the 60s said, I was not a member of any Christian congregation because I knew that they had not heard and did not live by the commandment, love one another as I have loved you. Jumped out at me. Here was this man who so clearly advocated love. And he said, I was not a part of a church because I didn't see them doing it. It's hard to hear words like that as someone who loves the church, but he said them. And it made me reflect on the journey we are taking in our conference and the important resolutions that have been passed in these last two weeks. And then I thought of something that just happened to me, and I wanted to tell you a little story. Friday night, I got an invitation, and this was the invitation. So the Pride Parade's tomorrow. We going? Hadn't planned on going to the Pride Parade. Not against it. Not against it. I just had other things to do. It wasn't really on my agenda. But then I got an invitation. We going? I said, sure, let's go. So Saturday morning, yesterday, I went. I was nervous. I was outside my normal territory. I didn't know what to expect. But I went. And you know what I saw? I saw people living by the commandment, love one another as I've loved you. To the point that it brought me to tears. People, this was not my turf. It wasn't my, I wasn't, I wasn't used to this. I wouldn't have gone, full disclosure, I would not have gone had I not gotten an invitation that said, Pride parades tomorrow, are we going? And it was my moment to stand at a well and listen. That was my Samaritan Road. I am not against it, just didn't really think about it. And I was challenged. How do we live out the commandment to love one another as I have loved you? So what happens? 
What happens next is that Jesus invites witness. He invites witness. Verses 28 to 29 and 39 to 41 of John 4 say what happens to the woman. After this meeting, the woman left her water jar and went back to the city. She said to the people, Come and see a man who told me everything I have ever done. He cannot be the Messiah, can he? He can't be. But he is. They left the city and were on their way to him. The people she talked to left the city and wanted to come find this man because her testimony was so powerful, this outsider. Many Samaritans from that city believed of him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I've ever done. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days, and many more believed because of his word. Because she gave Jesus a conversation. Because she allowed Jesus, the outsider, into her turf. She could have walked away. She could have said, I don't talk to Jews. What are you doing here? She didn't. She let him in. So, if we take the Samaritan road, what might happen? If we place ourselves outside our normal turf, what might we experience? What kinds of conversations might arise among us? The Samaritan woman was the preacher. She was the one that Jesus used to speak. Who are we listening to? Who are we listening to? What's the Samaritan road for us? I invite us to be humble, to place ourselves like Jesus did, where we will meet people outside our circle, and then listen. Listen to their questions like Jesus did. Recognize that we are here to serve one another, to be servants to each other, to give and to receive from one another. I pray that we will be open to these conversations. Thank you for listening to today's message from First United Methodist Brookings. To get every message delivered to you, subscribe to this podcast for free and leave us a review wherever you get yours. And be sure to watch for new podcasts from us launching in the coming months. You can always find more information about our services and outreach on our website at brookingsmethodist.org and on our Facebook page, Brookings First United Methodist Church. On behalf of the pastors of Brookings First United Methodist Church, thank you for listening and see you next time. This podcast was produced by Sam Becker on behalf of First United Methodist Church in Brookings, South Dakota. Intro and outro music was performed by our praise team under CCLI license number 936719, streaming plus license number 21039161. Visit brookingsmethodist.org for more information.